0: This is Ron, friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for
1: the Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Being in nineteen sixty-two last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The Amazing Spider of The Amazing Spider Hello and welcome back to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavaston and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Hello, Dan. Hello, Mark.
0: Yes, I'm Mark Chinnacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, and currently an editor at talk dot com.
1: Was that a spoiler for me to call you Mark before you introed yourself?
0: Yeah, I wasn't even like I didn't even take the mask off or anything. Come on,
1: I'll have to throw up the spoiler warning. The there you go, of the episode
0: hashtag spoiler.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for the special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. Mark, you and I are burning through these essentials. We got, after this one, only eight left. Only eight. Only eight, yes. Uh, Well, we hope you guys enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture, even though this is the shortest issue we're likely to ever cover on this show.
0: Absolutely. So, and that issue is, uh, in this episode, it's uh, Dan's essential pick. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 248, also known as Thunderball. No. (laughs) Also known as the kid who collects Spider-Man. The reason I I made this joke in the last episode, I keep saying Thunderball, because this is actually the backup story um, to um, uh, the main story, which is a. Spider-Man Battle with Thunderball from the uh, Wrecking Crew. Um, but The Kitty Who Spider-Man, considered one of the most famous comics of all time, written by Roger Stern, pencils by Ron Friends. Uh, then we will uh, check out the next Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the battle that's currently raging on about who is going to replace Eugene Thompson.
1: Mark, we used to be two kids who collected Spider-Man and now we're two adults who have collected Spider-Man, which means it's appropriate for us to discuss the kid who collects Spider-Man.
0: This is your pick. Um, you know you know the drill. Run it down for us. I, I, I doubt I'm going to disagree with you on this one, but what makes this an essential comic?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, this is a tough one to, to uh, quantify as essential. I mean, uh, it really comes down to our, our reading of, like, what are the best Spider-Man stories and what are the most essential? Because to me, there's no question that this is one of the best spider-man stories out there um but it doesn't really introduce that much about spider-man in the way that some of our other books have whether it be introducing a, a you know a key character from his story or an element to the character but and it's also because this is not really in the standard convention of spider-man stories it's not a fun comic really uh, quote you know quote bunny ears fun quote unquote fun um Though there is a certain joy to this issue to seeing Spider-Man through a fan's eyes and getting a kind of a brief glimpse back into Spider-Man's early days. There's some joy to be uh, had there. But for those who have read this book, they know that it is primarily um, really a full demonstration uh, – you know, as full a demonstration as I can think of uh, – of the emotional power that both Spider-Man and superhero comics can deliver – um, you know, other than just kind of like you know the the generic punching of of, uh, of of two characters, but more importantly, I think this is a story that you could have taken Spider Man out of and replaced him with any number of superheroes, and yet you can't really. It only really works because it's Spider Man in this story, and, and I, at least I think so. I think this is you know you could make you I could see a Flash version of this, but i don 't think it would have the emotional power that it that it does um, and then there's just the raw emotional power of, of this book i don 't think anybody can read this book and not be hugely impacted by it and, and whether you think that it, it's like fair or kind of like a cheap gut cheap gut punch that 's up to you, but I find it highly effective and yes, maybe emotionally manipulative, but I think it it works because it really makes you care so much about this kid, Tim Harrison, uh, so much before the gut punch co- comes, it, it creates a fully fleshed out character just in the same lines. The Peter Parker was a fully fleshed out character in amazing fantasy 15 before uncle Ben's death with, that was another emotional gut punch as there is here. Um, I think this book is really formally inventive. It kind of is super poetic and charming and constantly engaging. How it uses like uh, this newspaper uh, kind of like B story to tell its story I think is really brilliant. I think Ron Friends, who we've both expressed our adoration for, I think this is like the peak of his artistic work on the book Um, and and weirdly his most dick-go For a guy who's kind of known to dabble in Ditko's stylings, Um, and I think it really proves that he can alter his style to fit uh, a story. And lastly, it is the biggest testament to how important empathy is to Peter Parker's character rather than his guilt. um, It's his empathy for other people and his caring about other people that really fills out his character in spades, um, rather than making him a Batman. I'm not saying Batman doesn't have empathy, but Batman is fueled by his like remorse and revenge. Spider Man is fueled by yes his guilt, but also his empathy and care for the people around him. So that's why I think this is a top story. Without really getting into the details of what this story is,
0: right. Well, I mean, you said a lot there. Um,
1: Sorry, that's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot to say for, what, like nine or ten pages. No,
0: right, no. But so, um, you know, I I, I guess I just kind of want to open the discussion. I mean, you know, talk about my kind of just gut reaction whenever someone mentions the story, you know. And I'd be curious to hear from um, other listeners of ours who are parents themselves um, what they think about this. Because for me, um, I acknowledge... Everything that you say, I agree with it. I think that this is one of the most elegant spider man stories that's ever been published. Everything about it is is spectacular um, but as as a parent of a young boy, I have a really difficult time reading this story because of that reveal at the end and 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 you know like I think because of how Fanciful and 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 fun, those first few pages are I mean you know this is kind of like you know people talk about superhero comics being like almost like a power fantasy and a wish fulfillment for for young adolescent boys and girls, um, obviously, where the cases may be. Um, and this is kind of like that brought to life. This is, you know, you're, you know, this is the kid meets the hero, you know, like, like this, this is the ultimate fantasy. Like, you know, if you can't be the hero, you want to meet the hero. Um, and then to just have that, that twist at the end, that cruel, cruel twist as someone as with a parent, like thinking of, you know, be, being empathetic and putting my son in that place in in the place of Tim Harrison um, it just keeps me from, like, it's not that it keeps me from liking or loving or or adoring this comic, but like, like I'm not gonna lie, Dan, like I I, I didn't I didn't reread the comic for this episode. Not I, I and you know I've read it enough times. I know what I'm, I you know that's it's either here or there. But like, it's hard for me now. I can't. It's just really hard for me on an emotional level. And I can't exactly, maybe rationalize it, but all I know is, as a, as a parent, I, you know, seeing what happens to this kid is just crushing for me, and it, and it, and it takes me out of the fun that I normally derive from reading a Spider-Man comic, or not a, not the fun, but the fantasy of a Spider-Man comic.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is it is a cruel thing that happens at the end of this story. I mean, especially, like you said, because so much of it is this fantasy, you know. Everybody – I mean, I imagine most people that read this are like, I'm Tim Harrison, you know, and, and maybe that's where I'm coming from. Like, I mean, that's by design, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah.
0: like, Like that's what makes the twist so – I mean, so cruel but also – I mean what a – I mean if you want to look up why Roger Stern is considered such a great writer, I mean stop at this story. I mean it's – like I mean like that's not just great comic book writing. This is great writing, period.
1: Do you – I just want – I don't – I think I know your answer to this but I want to ask it. Do you – because I mentioned it a little bit in my intro. Do you find this last page reveal – to be emotionally man- manipulative in in a bad way because all stories are manipulative. Uh, do you think this is kind of a cheap, like this is how I inject drama into this? Not at all. And what do you no. th- what do you think earns that for this book?
0: Um, I uh, I think what earns that is kind of the pacing of of how the like the onion and this of the story is peeled back i mean it's like you you're you're first kind of like oh look here's this kid who loves spider-man and oh look spider-man's visiting him but you know then this kid must really love spider-man because why else would he be there and then you know he's like discussing all these things for him and then like he reveals the identity and you're like to me, like, that's, like, the red flag of, like, whoa, what's going on here? What What's about to happen? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I feel because of how these little things are unveiled at such integral parts, and they're done so effectively, it makes the final reveal, for lack of a better word, earned, you know? It's not manipulative, because it's, like, it all makes sense. This is why this happened, you know what I mean? Like, 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 I don't think this story would have happened this way without the circumstances being attached to it so i don't i you know i don't think it's a cheat
1: yeah and i i am with you there as well um, but I, you know you you can't it's just so tough to talk about but to your point about you know it not being quote unquote fine or i mean or, or just being difficult to read um, do you think that that disqualifies it in your eyes from being an essential? Because to me, that only makes it all the more necessary to be an essential because it it underlines the power that um, comics can have on their audience, that it can operate in this emotional range. And, and not only that, but like also the kind of meta-text commentary that, like, here's a kid who is – you know, prob- probably terminally ill, um, and I guess I would say confirmed to be terminally ill in his appearances in the afterlife in future Spider-Man stories. If although I've always been uncomfortable with this book being like canon, you, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, right, right. I mean, I'm, I, it is canon, but also like it's weird to see Tim Harrison pop up. Again in the future, because alongside
0: like when Stacy or something, you know,
1: yeah, and I think that's only a testament to this book because he seems so much more real as a character than those characters because he's suffering like uh, like uh, failure, you know, like from diseases and deaths that we suffer from in the real world. Nobody is getting right. dropped off bridges, I mean, not many people are getting dropped off bridges, you know, uh, but uh, at least I hope not, um, but uh anyway uh, there's right. this whole well, there 's this whole part of the story that is like that in his sickness superheroes have brought him joy the same way that in real life everybody you know the power fantasy or the fantasy of superheroes is a kind of respite from pain and 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 all entertainment can operate this way um do you Do you think this kind of dark tale excludes it from the essentials list or or what?
0: No, just the opposite. I mean, like, um, you know, for me, we, we – I mean, reason why Spider-Man is my favorite character, and we've talked about this at length, is is, is his relatability. And, and to kind of go to one of the points you were making in your intro, I, I mean, I really can't see any other hero being used in this book Besides Spider-Man. Like I, like, I feel like based on what we know about Spider-Man and, and his empathy and his humanity um, and just his ability to connect with, with regular people, kids and adults, that he is the only one that can be the person who shows up for Tim. I- and, and 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 I think like this 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 comic speaks to that relatability and to his humanity better than any other comic because you know when we're talking about oh he's got problems his costume doesn't fit when he's going to go fight the goblin or you know he he you know he has a cold when he's fighting Doc Ock I mean like yeah those are those are human foibles and and you know what kind of you know. But it's it's still within the, the realm of a, of a really heightened fantasy of something that we're not going to see in the real world. Whereas this is something that's very real. And I think it just really can reaffirms the relatability of Spider-Man.
1: I, I was... um remembering this issue. I mean, I I think about this issue often, but uh, I was remembering this issue when I was reading a recent issue of Invincible Iron Man, where Iron Man visits this kind of uh, cancer ward for children. And you know how, you can imagine how Tony Stark would do that. He's very gracious and he doesn't make it about himself, but he is coming in being the kind of flashy, showy superhero that you want Iron Man to be. And I could imagine Captain America doing you know, going to a hospital and being the patriotic hero. But for me, Spider-Man starts this off the story off that way. You've got the great moment of him lifting, you know, uh, the 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 uh, Tim's bed, and just the kind of gee whiz wonder of that. I I always, as a kid, when reading this issue, would fantasize about that. Um,
0: and and. Yeah, not to cut you off, but we 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 obviously have to talk about how magnificent Ron Friends is on this book.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Um
0: I mean this is I mean I think that's what really sells the humanity of this story as well, not just Stern's, I think, incredibly crafted script. But I mean Friends is you know, it's Dick esque, but it's you know Ditko. There was a harshness to Ditko, you know, like that, the kind of an uncomfort- discomfort to how Dicko drew Spider Man and 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 his and his world. And I think Ron softens that in a good way.
1: Yeah, and I like the um, the way. The the point of view of this story artistically, um, it feels very grounded. Um, I mean, certainly there are shots that are from up high, but Spider Man is always kind of portrayed as being a little bit larger than life and and in some ways creepy too. Like when he's crawling around the ceiling of this kid's room, there is something like a little weird, and I think that may be play into the dicko ness of the story. There is something kind of weird about this guy, you know, but but still fantastical. And it really – I think you're seeing this a lot through Tim's point of view, and and I've always loved that about this story. Um, And and, and, and to the softness, one of my favorite moments is when they're pouring over Tim's book and they find the slugs that Tim has pulled out of the wall – and it's just Spider Man crouching down to be on Tim's lever level, and there's so much warmth and and kind of giddy joy, like two kids sharing like a trading card collection, you know, in, in that moment or going over their comic books.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's and, and, and yeah, like it's all those little cues, like you mentioned him kneeling down, and it, it, like that's. Um, Again, it, it just—I keep coming back to this idea of empathy and humanity. Um, It's—it's it, it's what this book is all about, and and you know, just to kind of talk a little bit about the genesis of the story because I—I'm always fascinated by that too. Um, you know, Stern has always kind of called this like his his attempt to be Eisner. Um, you know, Will Eisner. He's called it an Eisner-esque like little little story and and you know because of that you know i mentioned that this you know this feels like a spider-man story thematically but structurally and 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 you know in terms of its craft it, it this kind of goes above and beyond standard superhero storytelling i mean it's kind of its own it's almost reads like a little indie comic you know that you would see somewhere um and just to kind of add to that, I mean, it's his Eisner comic and and I think Stern kind of had it in the bag and was basically thinking, ah, maybe we could throw it in the back of an annual somewhere,
1: <laughs>
0: which <laughs> it's like, you know, could you imagine, I mean, putting aside whether annuals count or not, I mean, could you just imagine this like backing up like you know, Spider-Man and the Punisher versus Doc Ock, I mean, like, it it totally would have been lost. I I mean, at least, you know, we joke about it backing up Thunderball, but at least, like, it was part of the main book, and and, I don't know, it just felt felt more prominent here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get back to the idea of the humanity in this book, because for me, Despite the final page, and we'll talk about the final page in a minute, there's the unmasking in this. I think the way that Ron Friends draws Peter Parker's face as it kind of comes out of the shadows, to me, I don't think there's ever been a more soulful drawing of Peter Parker's face um, than the one here. It's, I find it so totally haunting because he's got his chin held up, like, proud, like, and, and powerful, but – the shadows and the way that the face is rendered, there's something so sad in it that it makes him exclusively, like, I guess uh, – I, I don't know how to, what the word is. But, like, the perfect face for Tim, this, you know, p- proud until the end but full of something so sad like Tim's leukemia, you know uh, – but this face to me, like when, when I think of Peter Parker's face summed up in an image, like I can think of no better image than Ron Frenz's rendering in this title.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean I, I think when you think of the definitive Peter Parker images in Spider-Man history, I mean there's – you know, there's this. There's maybe the, the, the splash page from Amazing Fantasy 15. Mm-hmm. And and Spider Man no more, and that's it to me. I mean, those are like the definitive images that kind of like capture the soul of Peter. Um, I like that you mentioned this being a soulful image because I think it's the right, um, right adjective. Um, there's it, it's there's just something kind of otherworldly about it like you know it's 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 not it's, it's 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 magnificent
1: well the way that ron brings shadow into this like i think in that moment but also in this final page there spider-man swings out of the uh, you know i guess the apartment or a hospital room and lands on this wall where we get the really dramatic reveal that it's a cancer clinic But there's an image right before that of Spider-Man standing on the wall looking down where half of his body is obscured or I guess cast in shadow. And it is such a sad – the body posturing of him standing there looking down blanketed in shadow, it is haunting. I mean it's such a sad image to see this character go from this joyous, powerful character to being so deflated and just crushed. I mean – more than any villain has ever done to Spider-Man. this to me is like – I don't think I've ever seen his body portrayed in such a like uh, – I guess just – maybe crushed. I don't want, I hate to use that word. Mournful. In
0: mournful? Mournful, mournful,
1: yeah. I mean it is – and it's such a perfect image. Uh, I mean wow. Just wow. Yeah. I just like the idea that Spider-Man as a character can absorb – all the pain and sadness for one night from this Tim character as he does for so many readers and to have that kind of put out there in this painful story. Like it's, it's, it's weird to confront what a character, like I guess in such a harsh way, what a character can can and is doing for your life. I mean, Spider-Man has been real or not real. The character of Spider-Man has been there for me in some of my darkest times and it's so interesting to see that brought to paper through such, I mean to me this is masterpiece on art and, and writing and uh, like whatever, give this book all the eisners. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like, but it's, it it is, it is metatextual without pointing, you know, a, 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 a finger towards the audience and saying, look at what we're doing. Uh, and that to me is, like, just, like, the best of art, art, artistry that there is. So, I mean, to me, this is almost like one of those books that, like, I wish we didn't even have to include it in our essentials list because it should just be presumed essential. And yet it's a B book. It's a backup to another story. Like, who who would have thought?
0: <laughs> well, Dan, good pick. I think you've had a couple good picks in a row. I think I need a bad pick to mix in.
1: Yeah, well, you're
0: your I'll come up with something bad.
1: <laughs> Being like Marvel two in one.
0: Yeah. Hey.
1: Hey. I, no, I it's have, a good book. It's a good book.
0: I've defended that to the nth degree. <laughs> anyway, uh, why don't we talk some uh, friendly neighborhood Spider Talk members club? <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for listening to our amazing Spider Talk show. Mark and I have such a fun time producing it, so we'd love to know that you guys are out there listening and writing in. As you may know, a few months ago we launched a Patreon account to help us keep the podcast running by paying off the hosting costs and other fees associated with getting all the awesome guests we have, keeping our site running, and building our community. This week we have one new member to our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. (sighs) I keep having to say that well, that new member is Jan. So thank you, Jan, for joining our awesome club. Every week we give out free digital comics codes and try to record a members-only podcast just for our members. But we also love to raffle off exclusive prizes to those who've signed up. This week we're giving away commissioned artwork of our logo as penciled by Ron Friends, inked by Sal Buscema, and colored by Edgar Delgado. So let me play with my virtual pachinko machine and see who our winner is. Hold on a second here. Let me get this thing working. And the winner of the commissioned artwork is none other than Carl Reichling. Congratulations, Carl. Check the mail soon and you'll receive your awesome prize. On the next Essentials episode, we'll be raffling off a Batman character, the Scarecrow. That's not the Spider-Man villain, Scarecrow, who is a real villain, I I assure you. So remember, if you want to join our club and enter our raffle, as well as get t-shirts, coffee mugs, bumper stickers, and so much more in the mail, go to either Mark or I's site and click on the Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club banner and join for the low cost of a comic a month. If you consider our show entertaining enough to be worth at least a comic a month, we'd love to have you join our club. Now back to your regularly scheduled program on the same spider time and same spider channel, which is anytime you want to listen to it and whatever service you're using. So uh, thanks again and back to the content.
0: All right, Dan, you, you, you might have thought, uh, considering the fact that the first part of our show we were talking about probably one of the saddest stories in Spider-Man history that we had Deb Whitman on the show this week. <laughs> but but <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your way we're talking, uh, for Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews, it's just going to be Dan and I this week as we are still currently tabulating your votes for the replacement, we're going to be uh, – the voting is going to be open until September 7th. Uh, you have five choices. Uh, I guess someone got left on the cutting room floor. We, we won't mention who got left out, but you can choose between uh, uh, Lonesome Pincus and Nathan Lebetsky, uh, uh, Gabriel Stacy. Deb Whitman and Swarm and, and Dan, what's what's the what's the early vote look like?
1: Well I love that you had difficulty pulling those out of your memory because that's how forgettable these D listers are. Couldn't <laughs> even remember the five. So I got it, I got it. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Yeah, uh you know, it's actually coming in uh everybody has got a vote. Or at least two votes, I'll say. But it's right. really coming in close between Swarm and Deb Whitman. And actually, I'm checking this out right now. And Deb Whitman has, is pulling a recovery. It is 15 votes Swarm, 14 votes Deb Whitman. So it is coming in close.
0: My goodness. I don't think – I don't know if Deb really knows what she was getting into. Uh, if she wins, um, you know, we'll have to – Hopefully she keeps hanging out at that same restaurant.
1: <laughs> well, I wonder what kind of fascist tactics Swarm is going to employ to to pull this one off. I mean, will he send his bees canvassing throughout the country?
0: Yes, I don't know. Well, like I said on Twitter recently, uh, it's neck and bee right now. It's neck and bee between Deb and Swarm. <laughs> um, so why don't we why don't we talk about? Some comics uh, without without anybody's crazy introductions. Um, for those unfamiliar uh, with this segment, and really, who is not listening to the show exclusively for this segment? It's one minute per person to talk about each of the B books. We're going to start with Spider-Man, Deadpool number eight. Dan, why don't you take it away? Starting in three, two, one.
1: Yeah, welcome back, Joe Kelly. Uh, you know, after two issues, this series continues to put Spider-Man and Deadpool into interesting territory. In this case, uh, we see Spidey confronting Deadpool on why he killed Peter Parker twice over the past issues, which was pretty awesome that Peter died twice in the series of this book. So Spidey comes back with an awesome new Black Widow-inspired costume, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think by acknowledging One More Day, the, qu- the consequences of this title seem... Almost more important to me than those of the main title of Amazing Spider-Man. And it helps that the story has been more fun to read, too. Uh, Ed McGinnis is an art god who needs to pencil my dreams. Or more after this issue, my nightmares. Because some of the creatures in this are just terrifying. So this one gets a fan club certified to me. How about you, Mark, in three, two, one.
0: Well sadly, Dan, this book demonstrates to me, you know, the pratfalls that come with creators when books are delayed or are kind of taken up with fill-in issues. Um, I probably would have found myself enjoying this epilogue conclusion a bit more if it followed some kind of succession with the previous chapters. Uh, But since it was basically three months and two issues removed, I had more or less moved on as a reader. Uh, With that said, even if the transition was seamless, I did find a lot of the ideas introduced here to be a little confusing and frustrating. Uh, The patient zero character just did not read as enough of a payoff for me for the storyline that would be going on to set up bigger implications, especially uh, with some of the One More Day being referenced in the earlier Spider-Man chapters. So um, for me, I'm going to go Puny Parker.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's sad to hear, Mark. Do you have any um, theories on who this patient Zero is? Zero.
0: And that's not trying to be glib, but no, I, I really don't. Um, me
1: neither. Me neither.
0: And I think that might be part of the reason why I was frustrated because like, I feel like the way it was... I'm going beyond my minute. I feel the way it was presented there was like some kind of inherent assumption that I should have a, a clue about or speculation about this character. And I have none. I'm just like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, what am I dealing with here? So I
1: I have no clue myself.
0: Um, so, um, moving on to Spider-Man 2099, number 13, Dan, why don't you take it away with Miguel O'Hara in three, two, one.
1: Yeah, I guess for a book that could really have explored some of the interesting pre-cognitive implications of Ulysses, you know, with Miguel O'Hara being from the future and all, uh, I thought Peter David's approach to this crossover was about as boring a dream as one could dream up like, it just really doesn't utilize this concept well. I did enjoy the straightforward narrative approach to this issue, as it seems like most of these issues, things are slowly congealing. But I, I, and I hate to repeat myself, but Peter David sure seems to want to play the long game by not concluding any of his stories in a satisfying way. I mean, none of these have gotten finishing chapters, and, uh... Yeah, sure, he's not writing for the trade, which is something we like to be critical of. You know, that's normally a plus. But man, I would really kill for a 2099 story with a beginning, middle, and end. So I'm calling this one Puny Parker.
0: All righty-roo.
1: All right, counting in in three, two, one.
0: Oh goody! A book that already is suffering from too many loose ends that seem destined to remain untied now gets a tie-in to tie into a larger event book. Yay! Because the reason why I was so invested in a new 2099 book when it came out a few years ago is because I wanted to see how Miguel O'Hara dealt with issues caused by big Marvel event books. Not because I was secretly hoping Peter David would get to expand on his story from the 1990s. Anyway. Uh, also, to me, the tie into Civil War II felt very tacked on, so it 's like, oh, so um, Ulysses, you can see some stuff from two thousand ninety nine you should go check it out, man. I mean ulysses he is by far marvel 's most convenient plot device huh uh, i 'm saying puny parker
1: he is basically just a plot device
0: yes, like uh, never mind uh, <laughs> silk silk number eleven
1: all right, count me in.
0: Three, two, one.
1: Yes, the title of Silk has never really blown my socks off, but I do find it to be a reliable and relatable series at the best of times. Robbie Thompson's character of Cindy Moon is solidly written, consistent, and I, I find her endearing. And the same is true, I think, about the stories themselves. They're never going to wow anyone, but they play out with a lot of heart and take – and wow, they have some low stakes – that's, they're still somewhat exciting, and they kind of take me back to that like low-stakes early days of Peter Parker's career. Uh, this issue, to me, is a great example of all those things. plus, I think it features Tina Ford's best art on the title since she picked up the art uh, duties on, on the series. So I'm not super excited about where it's heading, but I enjoyed this one as a good you know pace changer. So uh, Fan club certified for me Okay. All right, Mark, I'm giving you the countdown. Soak number 11 in 3, 2, 1.
0: Well, it sounds like some people liked it, like you, Dan. Uh, I actually found the, um, the narrative via therapy device that Robbie Thompson used here to kind of muddy the flow of the story and made this whole issue come across as being very herky-jerky. Uh, I appreciate the series is clearly ready to move on from silk infiltrating Black Cat, but just like the character itself in the story, I'm not entirely sure if the new direction this book is going in is all that compelling or a big enough hook for me. Time will obviously tell, but as a kickoff for a new arc, this story, I feel, needed some more oomph. So I'm going to say Puny Parker.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I don't know how I feel about this whole negative zone thing. Yeah. Totally not where I would have expected her parents to be, but no. Okay. Yeah. Peter Parker's parents are S.H.I.E.L.D. spies.
0: Yes. And they're androids. There you go. <laughs> there
1: you go. All right. So uh, Spider-Woman number 10, second part of the Civil War 2 tie-in.
0: Yeah, three, two, one, Mr. Dan. Um,
1: I think people are going to be a little uh, surprised by my review of this book because this is the first issue of Spider Woman that didn't really wow me. Um, it could be that Javier Rodriguez only provided the layouts for this issue, with another artist stepping in to do the finishes. You know, but as charming as you know this book is in its writing, I'm not sure I buy the central conflict of Jess being that upset with Captain Marvel, her best friend. I just don't know enough about Jess's history regarding law enforcement tactics to really believe that she'd unquestioningly go to arms against her best friend by this story's end. Still, everything here is what I love about Hopeless. There's some wonderful comedy and great utilization of the most obscure parts of the Marvel Universe. But again, I'm just not buying into the Civil War II elements of this story. So unfortunately – and this is with great like, tempered – Yeah, regret, because I did like this book, but I think it's Puny Parker for this series.
0: Wow. Wow. The heel heel turn has begun.
1: Oh, God. All right. Spider-Woman number 10, Mark, in three, two, one.
0: Well, like a day that ends in the Y, you can always count on Dennis Hopeless Spider-Woman uh, to be one of the best things that I've read in a given week. Uh, the snark is dripping heavily from this issue as Jessica goes out to explore the truthiness of all Ulysses' premonitions. The uh, difference between this and, say, 2099 is rather than feeling ham-fisted, Hopeless has fun with an editorial mandate and stays true to his characters and the larger narrative he's been building. Of course, the ending, which connects to the events of Civil War Two, number 3, for me at least, hits the right emotional notes and was a great gut punch that counterbalanced the fun from earlier. To me, I'm still saying, Dan, this series can truly do no wrong. I'm saying fan club certified.
1: I I hate to be the guy that's down on a Spider-Woman issue because I love this book more than anybody, but yeah.
0: I get it, Dan. You're wrong, though. All right, that's uh, fair, that's fair. All right, three, two, uh, Web Warriors, number 10.
1: Oh, man, Mark, you're getting ahead of yourself.
0: Uh, you know, just like this book, it's almost over.
1: <laughs> the countdown has begun
0: yeah, from,
1: three, uh, before it's due.
0: Three, two, one.
1: Yeah, uh, when a book intended to be an ongoing gets suddenly canceled, you typically get issues like this one, where all the planned stories get crammed into one overstuffed book. That said, there's still a ton of cool ideas and fun concepts here, but the pacing is so fast it's hard to really get invested in any of them. I felt it worked in the previous issue, but as this issue features a number of fill-in artists that change on a whim rather than just being associated with a particular universe, which is what I thought they were doing when the issue started and quickly revealed to be not the case as the story continued, um, it becomes really difficult to follow the actions of this story. Web Warriors – I, I don't think it's been a failure. I think it's actually been a really fun series. But suddenly pulling a, a sudden wrap-up is hard to do. So Puny Parker for me. All right? Mark, Web Warriors, number 10, the penultimate issue in 3, 2, 1.
0: Yeah, one issue to go, and the clock continues to run out on this series. I'm sure Marvel won't completely abandon the web of life, but it's very difficult for me to be invested in anything going on at the moment since the entire Spider-Verse premise is on the verge of being tabled for an indefinite period of time. Again, there's some fun to be found here, especially from David Baldion's artwork, although, like you mentioned, Dan, all the other artists uh, really disrupted the flow for me on this book in terms of the visual cues about what I was looking at um still this book is so obviously at the end of its run it's really hard for me to get excited by anything i see on the page even the fun multiversal stuff for david Baldion. so to me puny parker
1: you know what this book reminded me the most of was the uh the end of the scarlet spider series where even the editor didn't have the patience to put up with it you know and it was just misspellings and incorrect word bubbles and Art changes every three pages. It's really a shame that these books can't go out in a more, like, professional fashion.
0: Absolutely agree, Dan. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, on that note,
0: on a want-want from Deb Whitman, why don't we go and get into some goodbyes? Can
1: we go out in a professional fashion?
0: Yes, let's try.
1: All right, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at com, or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most recently and our favorite, YouTube, by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure to leave us a rating and comment and let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. We passed the 100 mark, which means we're well on our way towards...
0: 105.
1: Getting, getting rid of our six arms. There we go. <laughs> All right, so uh, if you have any opinions on the comics we discussed today or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Call us at 9 Red Goblin, which uh, features calls from the Red Goblin himself, or tweet at us with okay to print and we'll address and read them on the air as well.
0: Yeah, and be sure to check out uh, our Facebook pages and subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales.
1: And don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club that helps support the show, and you can win a big prize like today's uh, winner did, uh, that awesome exclusive artwork from us. Next week, Mark, we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number no. 17 by Dan Slott and R.B. Silva as we get closer to the beginning of Dead No More. Are you ready for this artist change and this electrocentric book?
0: Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see it. So, yeah, this artist change that is not a permanent artist change despite the really bizarre way it was announced.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, uh, where can we find you on the Internet this week?
0: Well, of course, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, where hopefully by the time you listen to this episode, I am near the very, very end of the Spider-Man versus other people's enemies list. I really hope I'm towards the end. I only got four left.
1: Uh, Or three left, excuse me. Um, You're kind of hedging your bets there because with four left, you're kind of already approaching the end. Yeah, exactly. Well,
0: whatever. Anyway, or you can follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog, um, where I will be talking about comic books and probably retweeting silly things about politics. <laughs> Jan, where where can I find you?
1: Yeah, you can find all of my stuff at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Our team has grown a bunch this past week, so I'm really excited to bring in a bunch of new members. And I wanted to direct everybody's attention to uh, a new feature on our site we have the spectacular spider snark which is uh, a new weekly comic strip that we're going to be running uh on our site done by uh you know friend of the show kyle christ so check that out if you haven't already and of course you can follow me on twitter at at Talk.
0: awesome all right dan well Tread carefully on this last one here, given the, given the story we talked about today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mark, you've collected Spider-Man comics your entire life. That is true, right?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Did your Uncle Ben ever help you obtain a rare issue of the series?
0: Oh, man. Um, yeah, well, you know, Uncle Ben was great. And, um, you know, he used to take me to um, these uh, little comic book shows at this little hotel Um, near, near me growing up. Um, you probably, I've talked about it on chasing amazing. Some of the first posts it put there, um, you know, it's like, you you, you know, the drill, it's like, you got these tables set up and you know, you got, you got some long boxes set up. And I always felt like you got to go through the long boxes to find the deals. Right. I mean, like usually the stuff up on the wall. Yeah. It's like where all the really good stuff is, but like some of the, some of my best bargains were were made going through those long boxes. Um, you
1: should never buy stuff on the wall.
0: No, no, unless it's your issue one, right?
1: Yeah, right. Because but like any other way, they know that means they know what they've got and it's going to be marked up.
0: Exactly. Well, um, you know, great story I always like to tell uh from one of my my hotel experiences, my my the way I came about getting Amazing Spider-Man number 40. Um, you know, Uncle Ben had given me uh 30 bucks to buy or excuse me, 40 bucks to buy a comic. I went to get the comic. It was towards the end of the day. The guy was charging 50 for it. I asked him if I can get him 45 because I thought I still had a few extra bucks in my pocket. turns out I only had 40 in it. The guy took it anyway. Yay, I negotiated for the first time. So we left the convention. I'm like ecstatic that I got this comic book, this rare comic book. Uncle Ben is like, ah, sport, you know, look what you did there. And then all of a sudden, this fruit truck, barreled out of nowhere, flipped over. And crawling out of the wreckage of the fruit truck was the vendor who sold us the comic. He's like... You still owe me ten bucks, kid. Why was he in a fruit truck? I have no idea. Maybe that's what he did when he wasn't peddling comic books. He was selling fruit. I mean, maybe, maybe the fruit from—I got it, Dan. The fruit from the fruit truck was used in the fruit pies that had the monkeys that ate Uncle Ben's face that time. I think that's what happened. All right, all right. So it all ties together. It's the mystery. The, it's the long game, Dan. I'm playing the long game here with uh, with the Uncle Ben stories. Um, so so the vendor crawls out of the wreckage. You owe me 10 bucks. Uncle Ben steps in front of me valiantly, and the guy took one of the watermelons that um, fell to the side of the road, cracked it over Uncle Ben's head, killing him. With a watermelon, Gallagher style.
1: That's a hard watermelon. (laughs)
0: That's a hard. Well, come on. I mean, they're they're big, and and you know, could kill you if they hit you in the head in the right spot.
1: Is it bad that I'm now imagining an Uncle Ben story where where Gallagher smashes his head with a hammer?
0: Don't don't beat me to the long game, Dan. Okay, All all right,
1: all right, all right.
0: And and you know, Uncle Ben, as he writhed on the ground in pain, was like, "Good looking comic, sport." And with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't
1: miss the next in-